Section 19 of Heart of the West. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Brett. Heart of the West by O. Henry. Section 19. Calliope Catesby was in his humors again. Ennui was upon him. This goodly promontory, the earth, particularly that portion of it known as quicksand, was to him no more than a pestilent congregation of vapors. Overtaken by the megrims, the philosopher may seek relief in soliloquy. My lady finds solace in tears. The flaccid Easterner scold at the millinery bills of his womenfolk. Such recourse was insufficient to the desians of quicksand. Calliope, especially, was wont to express his ennui according to his lights. Overnight Calliope had hung out signals of approaching low spirits. He had kicked his own dog on the porch of the Occidental Hotel and refused to apologize. He had become capricious and fault-finding in conversation. While strolling about he reached often for twigs of mesquite and chewed the leaves fiercely. That was always an ominous act. Another symptom alarming to those who were familiar with the different stages of his doldrums was his increasing politeness and a tendency to use formal phrases. A husky softness succeeded the usual penetrating drawl in his tones. A dangerous courtesy marked his manners. Later his smile became crooked, the left side of his mouth slanting upward, and quicksand got ready to stand from under. At this stage Calliope generally began to drink. Finally, about midnight, he was seen going homeward, saluting those whom he met with exaggerated but inoffensive courtesy. Not yet was Calliope's melancholy at the danger point. He would seat himself at the window of the room he occupied over Sylvester's tonsorial parlors, and there chant lugubrious and tuneless ballads until morning accompanying the noises by appropriate maltreatment of a jangling guitar. More magnanimous than Nero, he would thus give musical warning of the forthcoming municipal upheaval that Quicksand was scheduled to endure. A quiet, amiable man was Calliope Catsby at other times, quiet to indolence and amiable to worthlessness. At best he was a loafer and a nuisance. At worst he was the terror of Quicksand. His ostensible occupation was something subordinate in the real estate line. He drove the beguiled Easterner in buckboards out to look over lots and ranch property. Originally he came from one of the Gulf states, his lank six feet, slurring rhythm of speech and sectional idioms giving evidence of his birthplace. And yet, after taking on Western adjustments, this languid pine-box whittler, crackle-barrel-hugger, Shady corner lounger of the cotton fields and sumac hills of the south became famed as a bad man among men who made a lifelong study of the art of truculence. At nine the next morning Calliope was fit. Inspired by his own barbarous melodies and the contents of his jug, he was ready primed to gather fresh laurels from the diffident brow of quicksand. Encircled and crisscrossed with cartridge belts, abundantly garnished with revolvers, and copiously drunk, he poured forth into Quicksand's main street. Too chivalrous to surprise and capture a town by silent sortie, he paused at the nearest corner and admitted his slogan, 
that fearful brassy yell so reminiscent of the steam piano that had gained for him the classic appellation that had superseded his own baptismal name following close upon his vociferation came three shots from his forty-five by way of limbering up the guns and testing his aim a yellow dog the personal property of colonel swayze the proprietor of the occidental fell feet upward in the dust with one farewell yelp a mexican who was crossing the street from the blue front grocery carrying in his hand a bottle of kerosene was stimulated to a sudden and admirable burst of speed still grasping the neck of the shattered bottle the new gilt weather clock on judge riley's lemon and ultramarine two-story residence shivered flapped and hung by a sliver the sport of the wanton breezes the artillery was in trim calliope's hand was steady the high calm ecstasy of habitual battle was upon him though slightly embittered by the sadness of alexander in that his conquests were limited to the small world of quicksand down the street went calliope shooting right and left glass fell like hail dogs vamoosed chickens flew squawking feminine voices shrieked concernedly to youngsters at large the din was perforated at intervals by the staccato of the terror's guns and was drowned periodically by the brazen screech that quicksand knew so well the occasions of calliope's low spirits were legal holidays in quicksand all along the main street in advance of his coming clerks were putting up shutters and closing doors business would languish for a space the right-of-way was calliope's and as he advanced observing the dearth of opposition and the few opportunities for distraction his ennui perceptibly increased but some four squares further down lively preparations were being made to minister to mr catesby's love for interchange of compliments and repartee on the previous night numerous messengers had hastened to advise buck patterson the city marshal of calliope's impending eruption the patience of that official often strained and extending leniency toward the disturber's misdeeds had been overtaxed in quicksand some indulgence was accorded the natural ebullition of human nature providing that the lives of the more useful citizens were not recklessly squandered or too much properly needlessly laid waste the community sentiment was against a too strict enforcement of the law but calliope had raised the limit his outburst had been too frequent and too violent to come within the classification of a normal and sanitary relaxation of spirit buck patterson had been expecting and awaiting in his little ten by twelve frame office that preliminary yell announcing that calliope was feeling blue when this signal came the city marshal rose to his feet and buckled on his guns two deputy sheriffs and three citizens who had proven the edible qualities of fire also stood up ready to bandy with calliope's leaden jocularities gather that fellow in said buck patterson setting forth the lines of the campaign don't have no talk but shoot as soon as you can get a show keep behind cover and bring him down he's a no goodin it's up to calliope to turn up his toes this time i reckon go to him all spraddle out boys and don't get too reckless for what calliope shoots at he hits buck patterson 
tall, muscular, and solemn-faced, with his bright city marshal badge shining on the breast of his blue flannel shirt, gave his posse directions for the onslaught upon Calliope. The plan was to accomplish the downfall of the quicksand terror without loss to the attacking party, if possible. The splenetic Calliope, unconscious of retributive plots, was steaming down the channel, cannonading on either side when he suddenly became aware of breakers ahead. The city marshal and one of the deputies rose up behind some dry good boxes half a square to the front and opened fire. At the same time the rest of the posse, divided, shelled him from two side streets up which they were cautiously maneuvering from a well-executed detour. The first volley broke the lock of one of Calliope's guns, cut a neat underbit in his right ear, and exploded a cartridge in his cross-belt, scorching his ribs as it burst. Feeling braced up by this unexpected tonic to his spiritual depression, Calliope executed a fortissimo note from his upper register and returned the fire like an echo. The upholders of the law dodged at his flash, but a trifle too late to save one of the deputies a bullet just above the elbow, and the marshal a bleeding cheek from a splinter that a ball tore from the box he had ducked behind. And now Calliope met his enemy's tactics in kind, choosing with a rapid eye the street from which the weakest and least accurate fire had come. He invaded it at a double quick, abandoning the unprotected middle of the street. With rare cunning the opposing force in that direction, one of the deputies and two of the valorous volunteers waited, concealed by beer-barrels, until Calliope had passed their retreat and then peppered him from the rear. In another moment they were reinforced by the marshal and his other men, and then Calliope felt that in order to successfully prolong the delights of the controversy he must find some means of reducing the great odds against him. His eye fell upon a structure that seemed to hold out this promise, providing he could reach it. Not far away was the little railroad station, its building a strong box-house ten by twenty feet, resting upon a platform four feet above ground. Windows were in each of its walls, something like a fort it might become to a man thus sorely pressed by superior numbers. Calliope made a bold and rapid spurt for it. The marshal's crowd smoked at him as he ran. He reached the haven in safety, the station agent leaving the building by a window like a flying squirrel as the garrison entered the door. Patterson and his supporters halted under protection of a pile of lumber and held consultations. In the station was an unterrified desperado who was an excellent shot and carried an abundance of ammunition. For thirty yards on either side of the besieged was a stretch of bare, open ground. It was a sure thing that the man who attempted to enter that unprotected area would be stopped by one of Calliope's bullets. The city marshal was resolved. He had decided that Calliope Catesby should no more wake the echoes of quicksand with his strident whoop. He had so announced. Officially and personally he felt imperatively bound to put the soft pedal on that instrument of discord. It played bad tunes. Standing near was a hand-truck used in the manipulation of small freight. It stood by a shed full of sacked wool, a consignment from one of the sheep ranches. On this truck the marshal and his men piled three heavy sacks of wool. Stooping low, Buck Patterson started for Calliope's fort, slowly pushing this loaded truck before him for protection. The posse, scattering broadly, 
stood ready to nip the besieged in case he should show himself in an effort to repel the juggernaut of justice that was creeping upon him. Only once did Calliope make demonstration. He fired from a window, and some tufts of wool spurted from the marshal's trustworthy bulwark. The return shots from the posse pattered against the window frame of the fort. No loss resulted on either side. The marshal was too deeply engrossed in steering his protected battleship to be aware of the approach of the morning train until he was within a few feet of the platform. The train was coming up on the other side of it. It stopped only one minute in quicksand. What an opportunity it would offer to Calliope! He had only to step out the other door, mount the train, and away. Abandoning his breastwork, Buck, with his gun ready, dashed up the steps and into the room, driving upon the closed door with one heave of his weighty shoulder. The members of the posse heard one shot fired inside, and then there was silence. At length the wounded man opened his eyes. After a blank space he again could see and hear and feel and think. Turning his eyes about, he found himself lying on a wooden bench, a tall man with a perplexed countenance, wearing a big badge with city marshal engraved upon it, stood over him. A little old woman in black, with a wrinkled face and sparkling black eyes, was holding a wet handkerchief against one of his temples. He was trying to get these facts fixed in his mind and connected with past events when the old woman began to talk. There now, great big strong man. That bullet never touched you. Just skeeted along the side of your head and sort of paralyzed you for a spell. I've heard of such things afore. Concussion is what they names it. Abel Watkins used to kill squirrels that way. Barkin' em, Abe called it. You just been barked, sir, and you'll be all right in a little bit. Feel lots better already, don't ye? You just lay still a while longer and let me bathe your head. You don't know me, I reckon, and tain't surprising that you shouldn't. I come in on that train from Alabama to see my son. Big son, ain't he? Lands, you wouldn't hardly think he'd ever been a baby, would ye? This is my son, sir. Half turning, the old woman looked up at the standing man, her worn face lightening with a proud and wonderful smile. She reached out one veined and calloused hand and took one of her son's. Then, smiling cheerily down at the prostrate man, she continued to dip the handkerchief in the waiting-room tin basin and gently apply it to his temple. She had the benevolent garrulity of old age. "'I ain't seen my son before,' she continued, "'in eight years. One of my nephews, Elkanah Price, he's a conductor on one of them railroads, and he got me a pass to come out here. I can stay a whole week on it and then it'll take me back again. Just think now, that little boy of mine has got to be an officer, a city marshal of a whole town. That's something like a constable, ain't it? I never knowed he was an officer. He didn't say nothing about it in his letters. I reckon he thought his old mother'd be scared about the danger he was in. But laws, I never was much of a hand to get scared. Tain't no use. I heard them guns a-shootin' while I was gettin' off them cars, and I see smoke a-comin' out through the depot, but I just walked right along. Then I see Son's face lookin' out through the window. I knowed him at once it. 
He met me at the door and squeezes me most to death. And there you was, sir, lying there just like you was dead, and I allowed we'd see what might be done to help sort you up. I think I'll sit up now, said the concussion patient. I'm feeling pretty fair by this time. He sat, somewhat weakly yet, leaning against the wall. He was a rugged man, big-boned and straight. His eyes, steady and keen, seemed to linger upon the face of the man standing so still above him. His look wandered often from the face he studied to the marshal's badge upon the other's breast. "'Yes, yes, you'll be all right,' said the old woman, patting his arm. "'If you don't get to cutting up again and having folks shooting at you.' "'Son told me about you, sir, while you was lying senseless on the floor. "'Don't you take it as meddlesome for an old woman with a son as big as you to talk about it. "'And you mustn't hold no grudge against my son for having to shoot at ye. "'An officer has got to take up for the law. "'It's his duty. "'And them that acts bad and lives wrong has to suffer. "'Don't blame my son any, sir. "'Tain't his fault. "'He's always been a good boy. "'Good when he was growing up and kind and obedient and well-behaved. Won't you let me advise you, sir, not to do so no more? Be a good man, and leave liquor alone and live peacefully and goodly. Keep away from bad company, and work honest and sleep sweet. The black-mitted hand of the old pleader gently touched the breast of the man she addressed. Very earnest and candid her old, worn face looked. In her rusty black dress and antique bonnet she sat, near the close of a long life and epitomized the experience of the world still the man to whom she spoke gazed above her head contemplating the silent son of the old mother what does the marshal say he asked does he believe the advice is good suppose the marshal speak up and says if the talk's all right the tall man moved uneasily he fingered the badge on his breast for a moment and then he put an arm around the old woman and drew her close to him. She smiled the unchanging mother smile of threescore years and patted his big brown hand with her crooked, mittened finger while her son spake. I says this, he said, looking squarely into the eyes of the other man, that if I was in your place I'd follow it. If I was a drunken, desperate character without shame or hope, I'd follow it. If I was in your place and you was in mine, I'd say, Marshal, I'm willing to swear if you'll give me a chance I'll quit the racket. I'll drop the tangle foot and the gun play and won't play hoss no more. I'll be a good citizen and go to work and quit my foolishness, so help me God. That's what I'd say to you if you was marshal and I was in your place. Hear my son talking, said the old woman softly. Hear him, sir. You promised to be good and he won't do you no harm. Forty-one year ago his heart first beat again mine, and it's beat true ever since. The other man rose to his feet, trying his limbs and stretching his muscles. Then, he said, if you was in my place and said that, and I was marshal, I'd say, go free and do your best to keep your promise. Lawsy, exclaimed the old woman in a sudden flutter, if I didn't clear forget that chunk of mine. I see a man settin' it on the platform just as I seen son's face in the window, and it went plumb out of my head. There's eight jars of homemade quince jam in that chunk that I made myself. I wouldn't have nothing happen to them jars for a red apple. 
away to the door she trotted, spry and anxious, and then Calliope Catesby spoke out to Buck Patterson. I just couldn't help it, Buck. I seen her through the window of coming in. She never had heard a word about my tough ways. I didn't have the nerve to let her know I was a worthless cuss, being hunted down by the community. There you was, lying where my sight laid you, like you was dead. The idea struck me sudden, and I just took your badge off and fastened it on to myself, and I fastened my reputation on to you. I told her how I was the marshal, and you was a holy terror. You can take your badge back now, Buck. With shaking fingers, Calliope began to unfasten the disc of metal from his shirt. Easy there, said Buck Patterson. You keep that badge right where it is, Calliope Catesby. Don't you dare to take it off till the day your mother leaves this town. You'll be city marshal of quicksand as long as she's here to know it. After I stir around town a bit and put them on, I'll guarantee that nobody won't give the thing away to her. And say, you leather-headed, rip-roaring, low-down son of a locoed cyclone, you follow that advice she give me. I'm going to take some of it myself, too. Buck, said Calliope feelingly. If I don't, I hope I may. Shut up, said Buck. She's a-coming back. End of Section 19 Recording by Brett Booz End of Heart of the West by O. Henry